0: Hallelujah. Okay, I don't know why I did that. Last week, I, I don't know if I'll speak any more on this, but last week we started to talk about God for us. We sang the song actually that was the com- confirmation for me that this was a message that I at last minute had received from the Lord, and then realizing the song was already had been selected, unbeknownst to me. It was a great confirmation. But it reminded me in that midst of the struggle of trying to put my, my message together, as you, many of you heard, it was just a, a battle to get the word together. It was just bizarre, very unusual. Uh, in the midst of it, God was also, it was a lesson. God was teaching me. And, and I pray that in this, he was revealing also the word that he wants to, to teach us and reveal to our hearts. So I pray that your hearts are ready this morning. So this is part two. God is for us in a sense this morning where I want to reconcile the challenges of life with the goodness of God. So we're going to go to some places this morning and I'm going to keep it really to the edges and not go too deep because really we'd have to spend a lot more time than 35 or so minutes. But I think that you'll get the gist and I pray today that the points that we have today are points that you will take to the grave or to the sky. Whichever's first. Okay, we meet him in the air, that's okay. But either way, I believe that these are foundational to who we are as Christians. And to effectively live as a Christian, as a believer, we need to understand without a shadow of a doubt who God is. We can't guess, we can't hope, we need to know. And so our lives need to be based on that knowledge not to do that will, will at some point undo us. Because it means that our eyes aren't on God, they are on people, they are on problems, they are on the circumstances that are around about us. And that will always weigh us down. That will never bring life, it will always bring defeat. And so the challenge I believe in God for us is God is saying, church, UBC, friends and family, may we get a really clear, crystal clear sense that God is for us no matter what happens. No matter what people say. No matter what people do. That that will not be the place that we are defined. Are you with me this morning? Now if you haven't got a challenge, if you haven't got a problem or a care in the world, raise your hand please because we can help you out with that. I'm good at doing that. Hey, you laughed a bit loud then. <laughs> uh, so let us journey through this short series. How do we reconcile that God is for us? When there's so much like we just heard before, and so many saying that God is very distant, or in fact, he's quite possibly uninterested. In our world or in our life or in our lives. We look at world events, natural disasters, man-made or other, accident, viruses, and we could go on. And the human conflict that, that exists even now and escalates at certain times in political regimes. What do we say to people who wonder if there is a God and if he is good, how can this be? Maybe some of the the questions we need to be asking is, maybe there's a lot of us involved in this problem, in this challenge. Human error, human incompetence often causes suffering. Man is directly responsible for many of the great harms and sufferings that we get to experience. The overwhelming majority of pain in the world is caused by our choices to kill, to slander, to be selfish to stray sexually, to break promises, and to be reckless. A great deal of human suffering is self-inflicted. See, we live in a fallen world. Even creation, the Bible says, is groaning. And we don't have all the answers. But we know who's someone who does. And we'll one day see and understand clearly But in the meantime, what do we do and how do we do the journey? Questions that we have when we walk through the dark. Sometimes when when things are are going not so well, we're quick to blame God, but maybe we need to blame someone else or something else, the devil. And I think sometimes we're in the wrong position when we start finger-pointing Towards God. God created the world without blemish, defect, and fault. He said it was great. It was good what He made. There was no error in that. There was no nothing wrong with that. God created us in His image, in Genesis 27 God made us a moral free agent. And if He didn't, then freedom is a contradiction. In terms in Genesis two twenty, uh, sorry, two verse sixteen. It says that the Lord commanded the man, "You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, except by one. You are free." And it's always been God's redemptive plan that we'd all become people who would know Christ and live in the way that God had called us to live. So there are groups out there and there are people out there with agendas who are asking these questions. That's okay to ask the question. The atheists and the agnostics, even the evolutionists. They wonder how can God be so good when there's so much suffering and so and so much evil. I will we'll try and challenge and answer some of those few moments that we have together. I can't get out of Psalm 145. Psalm 145 is really a personal hymn of David. And I'd like to just break it down, but for for time we're going to sort of do this, but we're going to skim over it. It's amazing. Even at the beginning he says, every day I want to bless your name, Lord. 21 verses. Have a read. And just meditate over that. It's just this power. I believe that this is David's mantra for everyday life. I think we wonder where was the strength that David found. I think it echoes in this psalm. Quite loud and quite clear. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger rich in love. Oh, don't we love those days when we can make that declaration. The Lord is good to all. All is everyone. He has compassion on all he has made. Great verse to start 2020. Yeah, it's not the reality where everybody thinks this is true of God. Is God good? When events like 9 11, human atrocities, natural disasters, pure in your face, evil occur, what's your answer? What's your response? Where's God in this? Many ask that question, but even believers at times will ask that question. So I believe this psalm was David's mantra for life. His highs and his lows, his victories and his struggles, all centered around his belief about who God is, And you demonstrate a certainty of God's goodness and love. And remember this, friend. Whoever you are and whatever that season is for you, if it's finished or starting or about to start, there is no victory without a battle. You can't go, Yahoo! If you didn't get in the game. You have to experience victory. You have to win over something. And the witness of David is both celebrational and rejoicing at God's deliverance and victory. However, we also get to see the other side of David as well. I'm glad about that. just brings it home a little bit more. Psalm 13, for instance. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? You ever prayed that prayer? You ever declared, God... If there's ever a time right now, would be great. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will the enemy triumph over me? Look at me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Oh, is this David? Did we just read that his mantra was, Lord, I'm going to bless you every day. I'm going to rejoice in you. You are are great. Your goodness is for everyone. Or the Psalm 22, or you read that? Psalm 23 Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil. The reality is there are challenges for all of us. I love to. Sometimes evangelists give the message that. Come, give your life to Jesus, and all will be well. It's not true. Well in your soul, yes, but externally there are still battles and challenges that we have to walk through. I say this because we're really going to get a sense that God is for us. How bad, how mean, how nasty, how ugly, how uncomfortable. God is for you always been for you he's been before you and for you before you even knew it was for you so we learn about all these challenges and battles and we have to deal with stuff look at the book of job a book dedicated to suffering job didn't do anything wrong when I was a new Christian I read I read through the Bible a number of times when I read the book of job I cried and I held my Bible up and I said, God, why? I was crying. This guy didn't deserve it. I was naive. Sometimes I still am. Thanks for that, Ralph. (laughs) I loved you, mate. The scene of of Job just quickly is, is set in heaven and God is in an argument, a discussion with the devil, with Satan. And they're arguing over Job. The conversation is about Job. I don't think Job is aware of this conversation. Or his friends even realise this. But there's a struggle going on. And there was some way the friends were trying. And Job had a lot of friends. He was really wealthy. He had a lot of friends. If you're wealthy, you have a lot of friends. Who knows that? No one wants to admit that. Job finally, after the the wrong advice and comfort and console from his friends, though in good intentions, Job finally rests in nothing but the faithfulness of God and the hope of his redemption. Neither Job nor his friends understood at the time what was happening or the reasons for suffering. But Job, when finally confronted by the Lord, Job is silent. Job's silenced response does not in any way trivialise the intense pain he lost that he so patiently endured. Job's story tells us it's less important to know all the answers than to know and trust the one who does. Laying hold of this alone can be a liberating experience. Anybody heard of a guy called Charles Templeton? Great, great evangelists the world churches in USA in the mid-50s. An evangelist that would preach up to 70,000 people in those days, that's a lot. Amazing gifted individual, called of God, amazing. He spoke to almost a full crowd at the Rose Bowl in the early 50s. But in 1958, he walked away from God. He went first into television, became a commentator, then into print journalism, and finally became in in the position of the head of the BBC. He became agnostic, not sure if there is a God. Once used so mightily of God, he's now denying the faith. This is what he said. I looked at the world, he said, and it doesn't seem to me that it bespoke a God that could be described as Father. It seemed to be a universe different to man and to all his creatures. He struggled with what he saw to reconcile how can God be God and God be who he is when there's so much of this in life. He couldn't reconcile what he observed And what the scriptures declare. Then there's philosopher John Stuart Mills. I don't have these up on the screen, I don't think. Maybe I do. If God is able to prevent evil and he does not, then he's not good. If If he can prevent evil and cannot, then he is not almighty. Is God really good? These questions have haunted Humanity in the past, is God good? Is God really good? How would you answer someone to say that God is good? You could use the scripture, but what else would you have? What evidence, what facts, what what hope would you present? What would we present to someone that asks us for the hope that we have? If you don't know that God is for you, you'll come undone. There's always a certainty with some difficulty when we try to find the right words to understand the trouble that we witness in people's lives. And I can assure you no one here is completely untouched by life's tragedies. We've all hurt, we've all been sad, we've all grieved, we've all experienced pain, loss. So how do we answer people honestly with the question whether God is good? What is the word within our own hearts when we go through tragedy and difficult situations? See, so this is what I do. When questions are on the character and nature of God arise, I only look to Jesus. I find the answers and solutions for the problems and difficulties in His teaching, His revelation. His message. When I look to Jesus, I see He freely acknowledged the problem of pain and the existence of evil. We looked at this last year in Matthew 6.13. Face to face. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Highlighting already the world that we live in. The pain that exists. Evil exists. Pure evil. And people will do certain things. I'd go into it because I know we have children here. I steer away from some of the things I'd like to say because I don't think it's fair to say those things. In John 16, there's going to be trouble. You're going to have problems. I've told you these things in the world, you have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. What should we do right now? We should take heart. Because we don't know and don't understand all things and don't have to have an answer for everything, but we know someone who does. It's not blind faith. It's faith that sees Jesus. Faith that's encountered Jesus. It's a life that lives with Jesus intimately. So Jesus not only acknowledged evil and pain, he confronted it because God is for us. In Mark 4, 39. Sailing across the Sea of Galilee, he rested on the boat when suddenly a storm arose and began to beat the boat about. Master, we're perishing. His disciples cried. And Jesus said, what? Peace, be still. He spoke to the storm. The Greek command be still, is literally, be muzzled. Stop it. He said to the storm, stop it, storm. It's the same command Jesus used when he was talking to people who were possessed with demons. Be muzzled. Silence. Be still. Stop it. Luke 4, 35. Other verses. This tells me when there's typhoons, Earthquakes—they're not necessarily acts of God. In fact, according to Paul, it's the devil who's the God of this world. Second Corinthians 4:4. 4, 4. According to Jesus, Jesus—it's the devil who is the prince of this world. John 12:31. So, how surely can we declare that God is for us? Here are four truths about God we can't ignore. These will be something that you can write down. Listen to the message online. Get these things. Write them down on the top. Write them somewhere in your book, your devotional, your journal. Remind yourself that God is for you. When you don't feel like God is for you, you've got to remind yourself that he is. You've got to rise up within you and say, come on, David, encourage himself in the Lord. He used scripture. He used the ability and knowledge to trust God. Number one, God is for us. Why we are yet sinners. Think about that. Sometimes we think, oh, God is for me because I'm a Christian, because I'm made, made righteous now. I've been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. Oh, hallelujah, praise me. God is for us. Why we were yet sinners? Think about that. When you were stinky and dirty and there's nothing in the sense of attracted to you, in the sense of what God is attracted to, he still died for you that says I don't have to be perfect, I don't have have to have it all together. In my mess, in my whatever, God is for me. First revelation I had of this is when I became a Christian and I realised that Jesus had died for me. Even though I hadn't lived when he was living. Of course. He died for me in the future. And for all those who call upon the name of the Lord, God is for us while we are yet sinners. Acknowledging our own failings and highlighting our problems in life. Garden of Eden, go on. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sinners, what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Or Romans 5.8, just for starters, there's so much here. But God demonstrates His own love for us why we were sinners. God demonstrates why we were yet sinners. He is for you. Wow. Some people that just that just frees you. It's just it's liberating. It's amazing truth. I didn't have to get it all together first. Some people try to get cleaned up before they get in the bath. Doctors tell us that virtually all disease is a result of man being out of sync with his either his environment, his fellow man, or his conscience. conscience. Charles Templeton and John Stuart Mills are asking, why is God doing this? But Jesus shows us their question is misdirected. God is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14.33 Rather, man brings harm and hurt upon himself when he rebels against God, when he ignores the ways of God and the word of God, when he violates the commands and the precepts of God. When life is messy and we're all walking around learning how to live this life that Christ has called us to, we know it gets messy. Some will put their whole life on hold while it's messy, Some will draw back when it's strained and difficult and challenged. But shouldn't we trust God? Imagine if God was to draw back when our life was messy. The scripture says that it doesn't. It's when our life is messy, when it is messed up, when we are hurting, when we are most vulnerable, Jesus is for us. That's what it says. Sometimes I... The stuff that you get to experience in life and ministry, it's I like to say, why bother? Couldn't be bothered with it. Couldn't be bothered with it. But not my will, your will be done. Didn't Jesus pray that? Gardening 70, recognizing what was happening, what he was going into, separation from the Godhead, take on the sin of the world, take on our sin. Wow, it hit him. God is for us because while we are yet sinners. In our darkest moments of life and ministry, Jesus Christ shines even more brightly and brilliantly. I'm not normalising sin. Sin is not our standard. Mess is not our standard. What's our standard? Jesus is. Jesus is our standard. It's all I've got. Everything can be taken from me. Everything, family, loved ones, friends, life, home, car, yes, and dog, you be gone, like Job, like that. What do I have? I have Jesus. Isn't that the hope that we have? Isn't that the hope that we possess, knowing that God is for us no matter what? Ephesians chapter 2 says, remember that when you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope. Remember when we we're without hope and without God in the world? But now Jesus Christ. Sorry, but now Christ Jesus in you, uh, who was once for us, has been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Number two, God is for us in the midst of uncertainty, He is in the light He's in the dark. Some people think, well, God is light. Yes, he is. 1 John clearly teaches us that God is light and in him is no darkness. But that doesn't stop God being in the darkness. The Bible actually says about the glory of God that he had to actually cloak himself with darkness because the brilliance of his glory and majesty was too much to bear. No one could look at God and live. That's how pure, awesome God is. His holiness for starters. His very nature. His very being. Moses asked, show me your glory. And you only got to see the backside, the shadow of God. He couldn't live. And even in that, there was still a glow on him. When he came down, they saw a glow on him. And they were afraid of it. Wow maybe our encounters and our unfortunate circumstances or uncertainties, maybe there should be a glow on us of Christ emanating from who we are. Jesus demonstrated that storms and disasters frequently come and are the work of Satan. For following the storm, when Jesus arrived on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he was greeted by a man who had been in the tombs, clawing at his body, Ripping his flesh, trying to rip the skin off him. And no one can keep him chained. I'm talking about this guy is strong. I've had the experience of working with people with drugs. I tell you what, when some of them, if you've had the experience with working with them, I tell you what, you don't know what they're on, but I tell you what, they're like the strength of three or four men. You don't go in there timid, you go in there, you gotta go in there hard, friend. In the sense of being ready to encounter whatever's going to happen. What did Jesus do? He was naked. This man, he was howling, he was frightened. But Jesus began to deal with him. Eventually casting out the legion of demons who had entered into then a herd of pigs and then the crowd, the town wanted him to leave because he was ruining them their business. I get that. Interesting. This guy is redeemed, he's set free. But they're more concerned about the farm, they're more concerned about the pigs, than about this individual whose life just got transformed. Gee, I pray we never get that way, where we're so interested and preoccupied with our life that we forget that people are going to hell. Remember, you're saying that the gospel that is being preached around in churches now is a chocolate gospel. So sweetened that there's no sense of reality to, to the conviction or what it means to be a true Christian and a true believer of God. You work that one out. That's for you to decide on. God can dwell in darkness, but there's no darkness in him. 1 John 1, five. it's up there on the screen. Daniel 2.22, is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. Who knows what's in the darkness? The light dwells with you. you got 1 Timothy 6.16. Number three. God is for us because he has a good purpose. Because of his good purpose. We have to understand that God is good. God is never not going to be good. It's his nature. And what he is by name, he is by nature. And what he is by nature, he is by name. So why doesn't God remove temptation? Get rid of evil, the devil, and destroy the demons one word, sovereignty. His sovereignty imputed to us. We are created in His image. Therefore, because of His sovereignty, He gave man a measure of that sovereignty. He didn't create us to be robots. He he allowed us to make choices, to be free, to make choices. I read my Bible this morning. I didn't feel that I had any pressure from anyone to read my Bible, let alone God. I came to church today not with any pressure or force or someone saying you have to be there. Are you here because someone forced you to be here today? Are you here because someone told you you must be there? You must get there? Is it a muscle memory that we just remember to go to church? Why are you here today? Because you want to be here? Because it's the thing that you do. It's the thing that we do. No pressure. I can read my Bible whenever I want during the day, during the night. I can talk to God whenever I want. No one has to tell me to. No one puts any pressure on me. I choose to do it. I'm free to do it. So are you. He won't force his word onto us. That's why we need to read it and discipline ourselves to read and know what the Word of God says. So in our moment of need, we know what God's will will most likely be. He has given us this freedom of choice. And that means that we'll get hurt. It means we'll make mistakes. It means we'll experience tragedy by ourselves or others. And Genesis with Joseph, in chapter 50, as Joseph and his brothers are reconciling, many will know this, You intended it to be harm for me, said Joseph, and they're in fear, because he's quite powerful. But God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. Isn't that the heart of God right there? It's almost like God was speaking. In that moment. It was Joseph speaking to his brothers in a moment of reconciliation. That sounds like God to me. Or Romans 8.28 contains some of the most comforting words that we can have when we're enduring hardship and suffering. We know that all things work for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. and His providence... God orchestrates every event in our lives, even suffering and temptation and sin, to accomplish both our temporal and eternal benefit. Think about that. If we can't choose to be tempted, then there's no freedom of will. If we can't choose to do something wrong, there's no freedom. If we can only do the one thing, there's no choice in that. There's a lady, I hope no one does this here, but not to embarrass anybody. Well, I've heard of stories where people would pray. This particular lady, I've heard of this. She would pray in the morning, Lord, what shall I wear? Who cares? As long as you're wearing something. Should it be blue or black or white or green? And one day she came to church with two different socks on. Different colored socks, and people asked her why the difference. She said, Well, I prayed, and the Lord said to put the purple one on and the orange one on. Really? Okay, we have a freedom to choose. God says, Just know what is right to do and do it. I didn't pray, Lord, should I wear pants today or shorts? I did have a wardrobe misfunction last night. Thank you, Andrew and Ian. No, Andrew, Andrew and Kevin for highlighting my wardrobe function last night. Wardrobe, wardrobe misfunction last night. It won't go there. Anyway. For the healing presence of Here we keep going. This is true spirituality. For the air we breathe is compo- composed of nitrogen, oxygen, and a few other sort of gases. If the oxygen content was a mere 2% higher, the world would catch fire and we'd all burn. If the nitrogen content was 2% higher, we'd all be poisoned and die immediately. Who keeps the atmosphere in such perfect balance? God. Because He cares, because He's for us. He's for humanity. Sometimes we think He's just for the church. And And He died for the church, but He died for the world. John Blanchard, who wrote a book, Where is God? on September 11, said this, If God tweaked the laws of nature billions of times a day, merely to ensure everybody's safety, comfort or success, science would be impossible. As Francis Bridger says in his book, Why Can't I Have Faith? We should be reduced to such a state of physical, social and psychological instability that life would fall apart, paradoxically bringing even more suffering in its train. God is in control because God is good. Because God is for you. God is for us. God is for mankind. Job 11.7 Do you think you can explain the mystery of God? Do you think you can think of a diagram about God Almighty? Do we really get it? There's a mystery about God. But He's honored us with the dignity of being able to have free choice. And the sovereignty in God has been imputed to us so we can also make choices. No, I'm not saying God can choose to be bad. God can do anything except self-incinerate, self-destruct. In other words, he can't sin. Okay, here we go as we get ready to hand out the emblems now for communion. God is for us. Because we are deeply loved. So these four truths are something we should hold on to every day. God is for us. why will we get sinners? Why will we get sinners? He's committed himself to us. God is for us in the midst of uncertainty. and we all get that we all get there. God is for us in His goodness. And God is for us because we are deeply loved. Because true love demands a choice. Demands a choice. And it's risky. It's not guaranteed in our sense of loving someone and reaching out. Will it be reciprocated? We risk. But if we stop making choices, if we stop risking, we cease to live in the freedom that God provided for us. True love demands a choice. So those who are serving, can you get ready please to hand out and distribute? This is a believer's communion. It means if you're not sure, as you're a believer, let this pass by you if you are not sure. The love of God. Lamentations 3.22 Because of the Lord's great love, We are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. God is not indifferent. God's answer is incarnation. He himself entered into the agony. He himself bore the pain of the world. And this is unimaginable, the the shattering, and even the more impressive, the divine power in creating the world in the first place and yet subjecting himself to such. We have all rebelled against him. We have all sinned against Him. Yet He is good and His mercy to every one of us. He's slow to anger. He's gracious. He's full of mercy and loving suffering. He lets us continue on and on and on until we come to the place where we bow our knee in repentance and give our lives to Him. A little bit later on in Psalm 13, which I read, but David's crying out to God. He says this a bit later in 5 and 6. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Jesus is there. He's right with you now, sitting beside us in our lowest places of our lives. And he says, are we broken? He says, because I was broken, just like you. Are we despised? Well, he was despised and rejected by men. Do we cry out that we can't take it anymore? He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with much grief. Do people betray us? He was sold out himself. Are our relationships broken? He too was loved and rejected. Do people turn from us? He too, it says, that they hid their faces from him as one who had Or as a leper? What shall we say of these things, says Romans? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but offered him up. So how much more also will he also grant us everything? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, well, this is what the Lord Himself said about the table, and I've passed it on you before. That the night that Judas betrayed Him, the Lord Jesus took the bread, and He said, He broke it. He said, "This is My body," right before them in their presence. He gave it to the disciples and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup that they had, and they were sharing of the wine after supper, saying this is the cup of a new agreement between God and you that has been established and set in motion by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me whenever you drink it. For every time that you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the message that God is for you. You are retelling the message to yourself and to others around about you that God is for you. Do this until he comes. So then whoever eats of the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood. Of the Lord, I know people who have missed it, believers who have let this go past because their heart has been so far from God. But in conversation and prayer and counselling and talking it through, they were reconciled and they sorted through their stuff and they got back on track and we could just break open and have communion together. That's the reality of it. May we ever be so moved to be closer to Jesus, to his heart, We have not been left alone, and we are not unworthy. And this is the power of our message right there. This is it. Without this, there is no power in our message. So I invite you right now to take your bread and the cup in your own time, eat and drink unto the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Where would we be without you? Friends, as I close, be rest assured that God is very much in control. Man's rebellion, plus a little help from the devil, has contributed to no end of the distortion, destruction, defiance, and destiny of mankind. But it should be noted that our attention should be given to the goodness of God. His finite, omnipotent, omnipresence, and omniscient. God. He is the true love and true expression of love and no one has ever loved you so deep. The question isn't why is there evil? The question is why is God so good? Or better still the question is not why would a loving God send anyone to hell? The question is why would anyone choose to choose hell over a loving God? God is for us because we are while well, we're yet sinners. God is for us in the midst of uncertainty because God is a good God. has a good purpose for us because we are loved deeply. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray right now. As I've shared out sense of communion, Lord, and a sense of awe of who you are, a sense that no matter what is going on or what is happening, globally, nationally, state, personally, community-wise, regionally, you are for us. You are for humanity. They think you're against them, but you're actually for them. And so help us to articulate this message, Lord, in our own hearts and lives. That we will be carriers of this message. That they will truly know and hear and see and experience. When the going gets tough, tough get going. Not in the other direction, but in the direction that God has set for our lives. So Father, I pray today that each of us will be challenged stirred in our hearts. Like Paul, the scales will come off our eyes and we'll get to walk in you that knowing that no matter what is said or happens or is done, you are always for us. Always. And for that, we're in debt. For that, we humble ourselves. For that, we surrender to you and say, Lord, be Lord and Saviour of my life of our lives. And if we do that, Lord, we know that whatever may come, we're never alone and we're right where you want us. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Thank you.